This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On this week's show, we have the Chief Revenue Officer of the USTA, Lou Shear. But first, let's look at the stories that are topping the week. Oh, look what's here. It has arrived. Three letters. NFL. Look at you doing the bidding. You are just like, wow, you are... I haven't seen you this excited since never. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say since you won your fantasy league, but um, that hasn't happened. You know what, see? That, well, first of all, I gambled on Ezekiel Elliott in, in our fantasy league here at Bloomberg. That, I said, uh, was that really a gamble? Did you think Ezekiel Elliott was not going to play this season? There's a moment there, man. I Jerry wants know. to win. Jerry's got the cash. Zeke doesn't want to play in the preseason. Zeke wants more money. Zeke doesn't want to go to training camp. Guess what? Everybody gets what they want right now. All I know is my top four players in my fantasy league. Yeah. Uh, Le'Veon Bell. Okay. Ezekiel Elliott. You're picking a jet in, the, in, in your top four players. You're, you're like... Not, yes. Not concerned there. You no, know, not at all. I, in fact, I, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna that's say a, that's this. A lot, that's a lot. On the record, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're I bet you they can make the playoffs. All right. I I, I don't know enough. Like you know me. Like I care about what's going on off the field. I don't pay close enough attention to what's going on the field. What's going on on the field with these teams? I don't think I can name three New York Jets. I know the quarterback Darno. I know Le'Veon Bell. Uh, like I said, I'm not Robbie sure I, Anderson. Never heard of him. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> and by the way, this is a two quarterback league. I have Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield. Okay. So Mayfield, I know. It, it, what I'm trying I to get at I'm not is that ignorant, but we fantasy sports is going to boom. People and they're expecting a boom. Why is it going to boom now more than it's been? Because you couple on now that the with gambling that is legalized. And here we are with the NFL. Yeah. You're going to see a spike in that happen. This is I just think if, if anything, I'm just going to bet more and do fantasy less. Like I can do real money every like live betting on everything. Yeah, that's what I thought, and then I started thinking about it. It's like you know what? Well, if I make this play and do this here, give me by the way, play. give me you know, give me your top four now. So you have Le'Veon Bell, yeah, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Sean Watson, and Baker Mayfield. All right, uh, no Pat Mahomes there. I wish I could have gotten Pat oh, you Mahomes. Could, oh, you couldn't get him. I have All Pat right. Mahomes in another league. All right, I got you. So uh, what, what were we talking about here? The yeah. NFL is back. All right, you're excited. <laughs> I'm like, what are we talking about? So, yes, the NFL is back. Lots of people going to be excited. Uh, you've had all the, the concussion, the TV ratings. The NFL is a juggernaut. Now, this leads into a more serious topic involving the NFL because uh, there's the prospect for a new NFL labor deal and a TV contract. Well, the TV contract is 2022. We, we've talked about this before on earlier shows that it's just such a juggernaut. There's so many bidders, more bidders, more money. Boy, there, there's real reason to be bullish on the NFL right now, even with some of the headwinds that people have been talking about for years. And, and that could be labor strife, but we'll see what happens there. We'll talk about that in a second. 
and, and head trauma. Um, and by the way, players walking away early. Also, we'll, we'll talk about when you, when you have guys like Andrew Luck just saying, you know, I'm not in it anymore. My head's not there. I, my, my body's beat up. I'm done. What is it, 29 years old? 30 years old? 29 years old. Uh, 29 years old. That, I mean, that would concern me. Uh, number one, again, if I own an NFL team, my number one thing to do is get the quarterback that I really believe in. And then the number two thing is I make sure that at the end of the day, his uniform doesn't have grass stains on it. Those, those are the, that's how I would build my team. Well, that, that means you got to have a strong O-line. Is what you, you're talking about. you better have a darn. Yes. Yes. Think about the teams who get the most games out of their starting quarterbacks versus those that don't. Well, the Patriots what, have always what, had that. I, I wrote a column years ago. I don't remember whether it was a Super Bowl or whatever. Saying if I hadn't watched any of the game, if you'd blindfolded me and then took off the blindfold at the end of the game, I could have told you the Patriots won because Tom Brady had no grass stains on his uniform. No, I, I agree. Simple. I get it. Simple. You're right. Simple. You know, it's it it comes down to simple when it, you know with head trauma, or just simply saving your body. I mean, look at Tony Romo for example. There was a moment where the, the line broke down, and I forgot the uh, the lineman that came through, and I mean nailed Tony Romo, broke his collarbone. I mean, it was a mess, and that's what happens when you have uh, a gap in your O line. Uh, your quarterback, you can get killed out there. I will say it again, Michael Barr. I've said it before. I will say it again to our audience. Most of you have never seen an NFL game, and I don't care if you watch every Sunday. Don't tell me you've seen an NFL game. You have never seen an NFL game unless you have watched them from the sideline. You do not understand the speed and the force with which these guys play. It is a violent, violent collision every minute and man when it's happening right in front of you i mean you feel it you see it you hear it you feel it it is an insane sport to play now let's get to this week's interview with lou Shear, the chief revenue officer of the u.s tennis association we always chat with you at this time of year. Gee, I can't figure out why. Is there is there something going on in tennis in, in August, late August, September that we should be talking about? Uh, that seems to be the case, especially if you're uh, out in Queens. Yes, for two weeks. Yeah, what I'm hearing, my inbox seems to tell me that attendance is on pace for a record this year. That's correct. We are we are having uh, record-breaking crowds. Opening day was the biggest we had ever had. We've had the largest Labor Day weekend uh, we've ever had. Um, and our Fan Week Festival, the week before the U.S. Open, uh, was a huge success where we opened the grounds for free to the public. Uh, all of the top players are here practicing. Qualifying matches are, are taking place. Uh, we had three nights of concerts. Um, we had Legends exhibitions matches, and, and we drew almost 120,000 people that week. I know people are interested in the big names and the night matches. This is a big-time town for a big event kind of thing. I get it. You want to see on Ash, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal. I get it. But do, do folks know enough about that early time when they can come and roam the grounds for free and the outer courts and see all the qualifying? Do, they know, do enough people know about that? Uh, well, we certainly saw growth this year, and we've made big investments into that into that week, right? Uh, initially, years ago, it was just known as the, the qualifying tournament. 
Um, but now we've rebranded it, the Fan Week Festival. We've started to promote the ability to get up close and personal with the biggest names in the sport. Um, they all do featured practices for us on, on our larger grandstand court. You can watch Roger practice from 12 to 2, followed by Serena from, from 3 to 5, whatever the, the case may be. Um, some of the biggest names in the history of the sport, uh, Andy Roddick, Jim Courier, uh, Martina Navratilova, um, all played, John McEnroe, all played exhibition matches during that week. So we've tried to mix in um, the opportunity to get close with the stars when they're more relaxed. It's the week before the main draw begins. And great tennis happening because you still have some of the best players in the world competing to, to, to get into the main draw. I'm always impressed with the U.S. Open because just like Wimbledon, you have so many big-time celebrities that come see this event. You turn your head and all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, look who's here. Uh, can you talk about that experience? The U.S. Open, you know, all, what's unique about tennis is all of the Grand Slams have um, different personalities, uh, if you will. And uh, and I think, you know, here the U.S. Open is, is known as the Spectacular Slam. We're in New York, the city that never sleeps. Um, the New York, the U.S. Open is an event, and and we're we're fortunate that there is so much demand from uh, celebrities of all walks of life, not just Hollywood, music, business, um, those sorts of things, and and it's one of the things that makes the event electric, um, and we're thrilled that that they come. Uh, we, we certainly have to, unfortunately, we have more demand than we're able to uh, to accommodate, but many of them have great relationships with the players themselves. The players are, are global celebrities and, and travel in, in those circles. And so you'll see celebs in player boxes. You'll see celebrities in courtside seats. You'll see them in sponsor uh, locations. Um, it's part of the appeal of, of the event. Who are the, the finance titans that show up? This is Bloomberg, after all. Lou, and we're chatting with Lou Shear, Chief Revenue Officer of the USTA. Give me some of those Wall Street names that frequently show up. Oh, historically, we've had Bill Gates. We've had many of the bigger hedge fund um, folks here. Uh, you know, our, our largest sponsors are, are J.P. Morgan Chase and American Express, and, and their clientele uh, comes through here as well. Um, there's a huge, huge demand for uh, for tickets, and many of them, it's, it's fun to see. You'll, you'll see them online at, at concessions on the concourse, which is a different experience than you would typically see uh, almost anywhere else. Give me the experiential differences between, let's say, Jamie Dimon and the person sitting in the upper deck. I mean, high-end hospitality is very, very popular and a big revenue driver in sporting facilities these days. Well, it certainly is. It's been a big part of what has driven the growth of the U.S. Open. Uh, we're fortunate. We're here in New York every year. We don't travel to different tennis clubs around the country in the way that golf does. We're able to invest in permanent facilities, and, and we cater to uh, the highest level of, of premium experience that we can possibly deliver. But with that said, Understand that as an organization, we are mission-based. We are a nonprofit that exists to grow the game of tennis. And all of the proceeds off of the U.S. Open are invested back at a grassroots level to grow the game. One of the key components 
of that mission is to make sure that the U.S. Open is accessible to everybody. So at the at the very, very high end, our best seats, they're expensive. I won't apologize for the fact that they are expensive. They give me a dollar demand. figure. Get, what, what is, what's the highest there. price ticket? Give me, give me, give me a it number. May vary, it, it, it may stretch as high as, as $3,000 for, for a courtside seat to the men's or women's final, for example. Um, having said that, um, access is critically important so that anybody that might have an opportunity to be inspired to want to play has the opportunity to come out here. So the Fan Week experience, which is free for the entire week, is one way to do that. But you can also get a $30 ticket in Arthur Ashe Stadium and have access to the full grounds here with 17 competition courts and find yourself sitting in the front row of, uh, of a match that might feature, again, some of the best players in the world. That balance for us is always important. Yes, we want to make sure that at the, the high level we're, we're delivering value at a, a premium level for, for those tickets, but providing access to anyone who may want to attend is, is critical. It's, it's different than the missions at, at most other events, but, uh, but we do that, and we do that intentionally. Now, unfortunately, for anybody rooting for Naomi Osaka, uh, she is now out of the tournament, the defending champion. Uh, but it does mean that, hey, we're going to see uh, another champion come along for this year. So w- what is the impact when the defending champion, I'm just curious, uh, in tennis when the defending champion is out? It, it doesn't really reflect anything on attendance at all. No, no, no. In fact, you know, one of the unique things about the U.S. Open and most tennis events are fans buy tickets not knowing who they're going to see play. Most of our tickets are sold well in advance of, of the start of the tournament, and we're not making decisions about tomorrow's order of play, uh, day session, night session, uh, what courts people will play on until the day before, right, because it's all predicated on the results from, from the previous day. So it, it doesn't impact attendance. Where you see the impact of, of not necessarily defending champions going out, but some of the most popular stars going out, Naomi is certainly one of those, are typically on, on TV ratings, um, potentially. Lou, when we break down the revenue sources, you mentioned the broadcast rights. You've got your ticket sales. Of course, you've got some merch. And by the way, still to this day, what I consider the best item available is the big fuzzy ball. That, that yeah. giant. I mean, whoever yeah. came up with that genius, and if people don't know what I'm talking about, there's just how I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, you put your arm around. It's just a huge tennis ball. <laughs> but but yes. people. It's it's a basketball sized tennis ball. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Seemed a little bit bigger. How many of those do you sell? Do you know? You know, that's a great question. I'd have to guess somewhere in the ballpark of uh, twenty five thousand. Is that your most popular item? Would you say? Uh, you know, our most popular item is the Grey Goose Honey Deuce Cocktail. It's the official <laughs> yeah. of the U.S. Open. We annually sell well in excess of 200,000 of those with a collectible cup that lists all of the champions from uh, from uh, prior U.S. Opens. Good for you, and, and your background is in or sort of sponsorship, so you always mention the sponsor, yes. the Grey Goose. Well done. What are sponsors asking you for these days? Uh, the need to sort of measure ROI, I think, is more important for these companies because, you know, they're going to spend that money. They want to know what they're getting for it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, the, and the ask get um, elevated every year uh, and more specific to each sponsor. But, but back to your comment about ROI, important to note that each business looks at ROI differently, and, and it's really more about a return on their objective as opposed to a return on, on the investment that could be uniform across anyone. So uh, we have some partners that, that um, 
value the U.S. Open because it delivers global visibility. You need to think about us more like an Olympic game or a World Cup in in soccer uh, because we, we're televised all throughout the world and we have competitors from all over the world. So some of our partners are very keen to get that signage exposure across the planet. We have others that maybe are more focused on corporate entertaining and, and, and hosting high-value clients um, to an experience that money can't buy and, and, and access to tickets that you can't get uh, otherwise. And then we have many that are invested in engaging with our fans. This year, we, we, are, we are projected to hit about 850,000 fans over the course of three weeks. That's an NBA season. That's an NFL season. Uh, that's an NHL season packed into a three-week window. Um, and our fans, when they're on site, tend to be here for between eight and nine hours. Half of that time they're watching tennis. The other half of the time they're dining, shopping, or engaging with sponsor activation. They're so drinking great goose. Say it. Go. Well done. <laughs> so you will see lines to get into sponsor activations. You'll see sponsors investing heavily in experience, promotional experiences on the grounds that you typically don't see in other arenas where fans are rushing from their car to their seat, maybe to the concourse or a restroom, back to their seat, and then they're out. Um, our fans are here to enjoy the day. It, it's a festival. Tennis is at the core, but it truly is a festival. We are chatting with Lou Gier, Chief Revenue Officer of the USTA. And, and Lou, you mentioned someone activations. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I think it was, was it Mercedes that did sort of a serve thing with Sloan Stevens and sort of sh- she didn't do that well? Do sponsors ever come to you with tales of woe and when all their best laid plans don't go quite according to uh, how they'd hoped? You know, uh, occasionally you'll uh, you'll have instances like that. In the past, you've had companies that have aligned with players who've who've unfortunately been knocked out of the uh, the tournament early. Uh, one of the great things about this event, um, unlike most sporting events, is we have a championship here every year. Right? I can't tell you who's going to play, but I can tell you that there will be a championship, multiple championships played here every year. So there is no effectively good season, bad season, those sorts of things. But that is one of the risks of aligning with an athlete. Um, but I think in, in most cases, you're aligning with an athlete because of what they represent and their values. It's less about the the specific performance and results, and if you're leveraging the appeal of that athlete, um, win or lose, our fans, at least the tennis fans here, no Sloan Stevens are engaged uh, in, 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 uh, in, in tracking her, her results and her success, and, and she's highly likable. Uh, and the same could be said for, for many other endorsers in the sport. My thought, I think tennis is more popular today than it was 30 years ago. But I'm going to ask your thoughts about it now. It is, seems to be a, a much more exciting event, and more fans are getting to know the players very well. I would say the, the U.S. Open certainly has been elevated to a, a much higher place than it was years ago. Uh, I think if you looked across the sport globally, Anywhere you go in the world, uh, tennis is the second or third most popular sport. The U.S. would be the one outlier there where, where you know, you've got football and, and baseball and some others. Uh, so the sport has tremendous exposure now. There are more outlets for content any day of the week. There are matches being played. They're typically played during weekdays. So you'll see tennis everywhere. Um, we still have some work to do here in the U.S., to grow participation, right? We've got an issue, an epidemic in this country of childhood inactivity 
And one of the uh, the battles that we're trying to fight here at the USTA uh, is encouraging more kids to be active, healthy, uh, and participate in sports. Tennis certainly not alone among them, uh, but that's why we exist. The other thing that's unique about tennis, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, um, it is the most successful dual gender sport in the world, right? No other women's sport has achieved the level of, of gender equity parity that tennis has accomplished. And if you're a young, uh, a young woman, a girl uh, looking to participate in the sport, right? Tennis is, is an incredibly attractive option amongst the others that, uh, that are available. We're very proud uh, of that fact. And, and, and you see that with uh, the success of, of young American women throughout this tournament and, and across the, the history of the sport. And you're staying out of the pay gap disparity problem. Well, you know, here at the U.S. Open, we've had equal prize money going back to 1973. Yep. 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 And that's a tribute to the impact that Billie Jean King had on, uh, on our sport, had on our culture, uh, and is still having, uh, having today, right? The, uh, the venue is the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. It's a celebration of, uh, of her accomplishments and her uh, her impact on, on society at large, not just her great, great tennis. Our little-known fact about Billie Jean King when I interviewed her several years ago. I don't know yeah. if she still holds it, but she is a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, or was when I talked to her. I did not know that. Uh, is that you? right? Yep. And I, and I want to talk about that famous, for as, as an old guy here, I remember very well watching Billie Jean King against Bobby Riggs, and I'll never forget this, at the old Astrodome, on TV, 1973, the Battle yep. of the Sexes. And people today, there are many people who do not understand the significance of that. Now, they made a movie about that later on. Uh, but that match alone was so huge. And I, and I wish you could help me explain that to people who don't remember that. Well, you know, I think I think the the... the most significant thing of that about that match in that time is the impact that it has had going going forward right tennis would not have achieved the level of 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 gender equity that exists today um had it not been for billy's efforts at that time that was a cultural moment it transcended sport uh it had an enormous impact in the moment but what it did is provide a foundation that we're now all benefiting from uh across tennis if you look at women's sports for example i believe it's nine possibly ten of the highest paid athletes in sports are tennis players if you look at the the grand slams and certainly the u.s open was first there's equal prize money uh for men and women it's one of the few if only sporting events where men and women compete together not only are they competing in parallel at the same event but you also have a mixed doubles uh division within the, the u.s open and and i would tell you in in my role as as a commercial head for this organization the fact that we are a dual gender event um is a huge part of our commercial success. Men watch women, women watch men, um, women bring men, men bring women, TV ratings are comparable, our attendance is 50-50, male-female, our viewership is 50-50, male-female. It also changes the nature of our event, and that's when you come on site and you see the fine dining and the shopping and the beverages and all of the offerings uh, that are available. That's a reflection of who our audience is. It's very different than going to a traditional sporting event in the U.S. Lou, tell me what the secondary market tells you about what fans want. 
you know, the, we, we pay a lot of attention to the secondary market. We have an analytics team that is, is tracking uh, movements on the secondary market. It, it's, it's very indicative of player popularity. It's very indicative of matchups. Um, and interest as as we start to see people speculating about Serena uh, moving forward, and and you will see movement there. Um, we don't necessarily participate in that secondary transaction, uh, but it's certainly indicative. And and as we go forward to next year, that information is very helpful as we start to think about pricing and demand. Uh, it's also very helpful for us to determine pricing levels for uh, different seats. So overall. Tell me about the money situation out of this year's U.S. Open. You are the chief revenue officer. How's the revenue? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in a very good position this year. Our attendance is, is uh, historically high. Our, our food and beverage numbers and our merchandise sales numbers, which are often tied to uh, our attendance numbers, uh, is tracking uh, in, a, in a similar fashion. Sponsorship has been, has been strong for, for this year. But as you would su- suspect, Many of our uh, revenue sources are tied into long-term multi-year contracts, sponsorship, our broadcast deals are are long-term. So the the variables from year to year are really a function of ticketing and hospitality sales and then the the, the sale of food and beverage and and merch on site. And and this year, because of the record crowds, because of the, uh, the strong weather, um, all of that has has sort of conspired to, to to paint a very good picture for us as we move into uh, the final days of the event. Is it safe to assume that you ladder your sponsorships? How many will come due at any one time? Yeah, we're we're very thoughtful and intentional in terms of how we line up terms, uh, both for our broadcast partnerships and for our sponsorships. Right, we never want to have too much risk at any particular time, so we try to uh, tier. Uh, our partnerships. Um, at the same time, we're also mindful of categories and where there may be opportunities to uh, have a clear shot at a category that could be consolidating or, or something of, of that nature. So there's, there's a lot of thought and design that goes into our thoughts about term, um, and that may vary depending on, the, uh, on the, the business or the category, whether it be broadcast or, uh, or sponsorship that are typically um, built on, on long-term deals. Lou Shear, Chief Revenue Officer for the USTA. Thank you. You're so kind to take time and talk with us. We really do appreciate it. I, I always enjoy it. Uh, it. It's clear that you're following the event, you're interested in the event, and, and we think that's terrific, and we appreciate the opportunity to talk. When Lou brought up the 1973 match between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. Did he bring it up or did you bring it up? No, he, he first oh, he, he first brought he it up. It? And then, of course, if you notice that my, my legs started shaking because it's like, I remember this. I remember this. I'm a, let me tell you how important Bar gets, that any, match Anytime was. we go to the 70s, Bart yeah. gets excited. You go, I got this. I got this. In color. Yeah. From the astronaut. <laughs> my mother and father. And now, I'm so, I hate to say it. I'm sorry. They could have cared less about tennis. But this match, they were going to watch this. Were they rooting for the same? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think so. No. My mom was like, you go in there and handle your business. And uh, to Billie Jean King, man, it's like, and she did. My takeaway is simple. When you roam those grounds, man, I love the basketball-sized tennis ball. I love that thing. You see kids are carrying them everywhere. They take them to the practice courts to get them signed. Whoever came up with that idea – we got to find out who was, whose idea was the big fluffy tennis ball. I, I, I love it. And then we ask, what's the best seller? The Grey Goose. 
<laughs> <laughs> we got to get in on yeah, that. We, we, yeah, I, was like, I could just see, you know, all right, we got we got the vodka drinks and the fluffy tennis ball. Perfect synopsis of walking the grounds at the U.S. Open. <laughs> Love it. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Since there's only two of us, there's been no sharing of there's information. There's been no sharing. So we can guarantee I'll have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a hint. Before you give me the number, you're going to give me the hint? I'm going to give you, well, I'm going to give you the number first. Yes. Seven. Seven. Um, George Costanza's son's name. No. <laughs> yes. But that's a good That's, that's a good try. That's the right answer. I, you're right, but that's not where Mickey I was Mantle. going. No. No. Uh, or, uh. Uh, John Elway. I'll give you a hint. It happened Tuesday night. Happened Tuesday night. Seven. Tuesday night. Mm. Can't take up too much time in the show. We should need a Jeopardy theme, so I have no idea. Uh, let's put it this way. I've seen the Mets lose a lot of games. Oh, they gave yeah they they gave up a bunch, huh? They, but they, this they lost one was a, they special. They lost a lead, right? They had a six-run lead yeah. at the top of the ninth. They played the ninth. Get to the their ninth brother, and then we go to the bottom against the Washington Nationals. Yeah, and the Washington Nationals score seven runs in the bottom of the ninth. We didn't even get to like two outs. You know, what we didn't talk about by the way. Could be sports business. I'm going to jump in for a second. Yeah, Pete Alonso. Did you see signed a deal with the Mets for game worn yes, memorabilia? Yes, I first did. one in, in baseball history. Just the deal with the team to sell right. the stuff. I'm, I'm surprised it hadn't happened before. But anyway. It's going to be that's a that's a good money maker for that. Uh, if the guy keeps hitting home runs, it's a good money maker. He hits ten home runs next year, nobody's going to care. That is, by the way, the seven runs. That is the biggest comeback in Nationals history. I just in and the in the ninth inning. Does that include the Expos? <laughs> just asking. <laughs> Yeah, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. Why do you bring up the Expos, man? Nationals, Expos, all tied together. I get you, man. Uh, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. They always try to trick us because they put Friday. They put Friday in, I know. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And they left out the tease this week, so I'm going to do it here. It's like, and I'm Scott Slash. You can follow me on Twitter. Thanks for joining us. And there's a period here. But we always say, and join us right next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.